Amen. It is good to see you this morning and a joy to be able to worship our Savior alongside of you. And just the things that we just sang and the things that Candace just prayed, I pray that it would be true for us this morning, that Jesus would be our treasure and our prize. And one of the reasons why we gather together every week to worship, one is to declare that He is our treasure and our prize. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our glory. He's worthy of the honor that we would give. But another reason why we gather to worship every week, and it's a rhythm and has been a rhythm of the church ever since Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrated last week, is because when we gather together as we sing truth about God and we come to his word, it points us back to see him as our treasure. So one of our our greatest temptations is to try to find our treasure, try to find our prize that we just sang about in something other than Jesus. And so coming back to worship alongside of God's people, it it helps bring us back to an abiding pursuit in Him. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I just invite you to turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. And so the last couple weeks, we've kind of been uh, in neighbors and nations, and so we've kind of had some different uh, things we've been talking about, and we're coming back into uh, this series, just walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. So if you're new with us, that's kind of what we've been doing. We invite you to join in. There's a reading plan that's available for you. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And so as we come into 1 Peter chapter 3, we're, we're actually just looking at four verses, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 12 this morning. And what I want you to remember is that this isn't a new thought. This is actually a continuation of where we've been and what we've been talking and walking through. In fact, this this section of scripture kind of brings together the section that we've been in for a while. And so as we walk through this, don't just think about what's here. Think about what comes before. And that'll help kind of frame the, the the meaning and the point of the passage this morning that we're going to be in. So I'm just going to start uh, in verse 8. I would love for you to join me. It says this, finally, all of you. So I'll just stop there for just a second. So again, reaching back to where we were before, the apostle Peter, uh, an elder, a pastor, has been writing to these churches. And the last several verses that we've been walking through, really since the middle of chapter 2, he's been speaking to our conduct as the people of God in difficulty, hardship, submission, and authority. So we've talked about what it means to be under authorities and rulers in this world and the way that Christians should respond to those who are in authority over them. We've talked about servants, we've talked about masters and the dynamics that are there and what do you do when you have a good master and what you do when you have a bad master and it doesn't matter, like whoever God has placed into your life as your authority, you honor them, you suffer well, whatever comes at you. Then we talked about marriage and and Peter goes there talking about wives especially and he speaks to husbands and just the authority structures there and trusting God's providence and trusting God's work and what it looks like to be faithful in that context. And so when we come into verse 8, he now just shifts to broad all of you. So, you know, in a southern context, if you want to try to translate this into kind of like southern language, this is all y'all, all you-ins, everybody in the room. This is speaking to everybody. So if you didn't kind of fit into one category or you're not married yet and you're kind of thinking, okay, what does this mean for me? Now he's speaking to the whole church, everyone who's there. He says, verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Then Peter goes to a quote, and he's quoting from Psalm chapter 34. And I just encourage you, if you're kind of looking for something in your own devotion study, go read Psalm 34 today. This is the second time that Peter's quoted from the psalm. This must have been one of his favorites because he begins chapter 2 with this psalm that, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And so he goes to Psalm 34 to kind of emphasize what he's speaking about. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, we see lots of branches. We see lots of imperatives, commands that that Peter gives to the local church. And we're just going to kind of walk through this text and unpack what those are and kind of their application and their implication for our lives. But what I hope you'll see as we walk through this passage that while there's several different commands that he gives in this short little section of scripture, that all of these branches really have one root. So if you're kind of chasing the metaphor, you can see a tree, all kinds of branches, but they come together into one system of root, one system of source. And, and really the root of this passage in these four verses is the same root that we've been walking through over the last really month and a half, almost two months in this section. And he's talking about imitation, imitation. So let, let me give you an example. How many of you, speaking to the adults here in the morning, this morning, how many of you when you were a child, you had something or someone you wanted to be like when you grow, grew up? Anybody here be willing to admit that? Okay, that's, that's awesome. Five of you, that's great. Many of you don't have aspirations when you're kids. Well, I, I, a lot of us did. How many of you are adults now and you say, there's somebody I want to be like when I grow up? I still don't feel like I've grown up, like I'm in process right now. Yeah, parent, kids, look around, see your parents, like we're here, we're still trying to to grow we're still trying to change well when I was a kid I wanted to be really two things I wanted to be a cowboy and I wanted to be like my dad and I think we have a picture of of little Paul there's a cowboy looking pretty dapper in his uh his outfit that's there and this is actually in Arizona on a mission trip with my dad so it's like the best of both worlds and the reason why I loved being a cowboy so much or wanted to be is because my dad loved watching westerns and I wanted to be like him so that's enough of me. We can take that off the screen for now. You guys have, you know, have a lot to think about later on. But we understand imitation for you kids in the room. Like a lot of you, there's someone you want to be like when you grow up. Or there's something you want to do when you grow up. And that's normal for us to aspire to be like someone. And in this passage of scripture, this passage, the context of it is imitation. That all of these commands that that Peter gives the church then and us, the church now, are meant to be a picture of something else. Not just something we do, but a picture of something. And even more than that, a picture of someone. When we read this passage of scripture, it's important to see that these imperatives are not just an arbitrary list of commands, but they are supposed to point to someone. It's bigger than us. It's a call to imitation that God's people, his family, his church 
exist to reflect someone. And that's our big truth this morning. God's people pursue Christ's likeness. God's people pursue Christ's likeness. So I want to call us back to 1 Peter 2, 21, because this is kind of the thesis, this is the root of this whole section of scripture that we've been in. So Peter's been talking about suffering, he's been talking about hardship, he's been talking about submission, he's been talking about what it looks like to willingly do what God calls us to do, and in that he points us to Jesus. Why submit to the authorities in your life? Why honor a bad boss, a bad master? Why stay devoted to a spouse who doesn't love you well? Because that's the attitude of Jesus. That's the attitude of Christ. Read with me 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Why be like-minded as a church we're going to talk about in a minute? Why be willing to suffer? Why not revile when reviled? Why to choose to bless instead of curse? Because that's what Jesus did. And we as a people are called to pursue Christ's likeness, to be like him, to reflect him to a watching world, to become like Jesus Christ. That when we became believers, when we became Jesus followers, it's not just a self-improvement plan that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 2, 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me God's people are called to pursue Christ likeness and that's really important because we can come to texts of scripture like this and kind of just read through all these commands here and just think okay I'm supposed to do that I'm supposed to do this I'm supposed to do that I'm supposed to do this no it's not about the doing of those things that's the purpose The purpose is about who we are becoming like and who we are reflecting and who we are bringing glory and honor to. And so Peter is calling all of the church, those who are under authority, those who are in submission, those who are in marriage, but every single person, if you're a Jesus follower here and you're 98, or if you're a Jesus follower here and you're eight years old and everyone in between, we are called to pursue Christ and to become like him which leads to a couple really important questions. The first question is this, what does it look like to pursue Christ-likeness? What does Christ-likeness look like? How do we pursue it? How do we live that out? And then a second really important question that we need to ask and try to answer as we read this passage is this, why pursue Christ-likeness? Why would God call us to this? What is the purpose behind that. So what I want to do in the time we have is just kind of walk through this text and try to unpack those two questions. First question is this, how do we pursue Christ's likeness? 
And just for those of you out there who are note takers, all the notes are online. There's a lot in those notes that we won't be able to cover this morning. So if you like to kind of do more study, you can go grab those there. If that's not you and you just kind of like to listen and take it all in, that's totally fine too. So how do we pursue Christ-likeness? As we walk through this passage, we really see there are three different spheres that the Apostle Peter is speaking to. The first one is the sphere of the church. So the way that we pursue Christ-likeness for all of us first begins in the context of God's people, God's family, the church. And then it goes to the sphere of enemies, opponents, those who would attack us, those who would revile us, those who would speak evil against us because of the way of Jesus Christ. We'll speak to that some today, but we'll come back around that more next week. And then third, as he quotes from Psalm 34, it gets into the area of personal holiness. So the context of the church, the context of enemies, opponents, been the context of our own pursuit of God and in personal holiness. So how do we pursue Christ-likeness? A few big ideas. First one is this. Christ-likeness prioritizes love for one another over our personal needs and interests. Christ-likeness prioritizes love for one another over our personal needs and interests. Can I get an Amen. (laughs) that's hard right Christ-likeness is about prioritizing others over self so just take a second look to the person to your right look to the person to your left you can make it a little awkward or not awkward depending on how well you know them the way we pursue Christ-likeness begins with the way we love one another that as Jesus followers, we're not just called to follow Christ individually, we're called to follow him as a family, as a people. And that doesn't mean that we all know each other well, or we all even sometimes like each other well, or we all agree with each other on all those things, but we are called to be the family of God together. So what does that look like? If you have your Bible open, let's look at verse 8. He tells us, finally, all of you, And he gives us five imperatives, five commands. One, have unity of mind. Two, sympathy. Three, brotherly love. Four, a tender heart. Five, a humble mind. Those are five heavy things. Those aren't just simple things, but this isn't an option. He says, all of you have. This is an imperative, a command, not a suggestion. One of the primary ways we honor God and live for his glory and grow our witness is by sacrificially and selflessly loving his people. So the question for us this morning is, are we prioritizing God's family? Are we loving one another well? Are we putting the needs of our church family over the needs and interests and desires of ourself? We've been called to a people, not just to ourselves. So what does it look like for us to grow in Christ's likeness as we relate to one another? He gives us these five things. Let's just try to unpack them together. And the way I'm going to speak to them is really in three groupings. So uh, there's this, this thing called a chiastic structure. You don't have to know about it. Here's what it means. Sometimes in scripture, when an author's trying to make a point and bring emphasis, they will give a list. And they will pair things together. So what's at the top of the list 
goes with what's at the bottom of the list. And then the, what's in the middle is second most important. And what's in the third is the most important thing. So when you read through these five commands, don't see them as a linear list. See them as a pyramid. So the two that go together on the bottom of that pyramid are the way we think of one another in our minds. So unity of mind and humble mind. So those two go together. Then increasing in importance, you see sympathy and a tender heart. Those two go together. And then at the apex, at the pinnacle, is brotherly love. The way we love one another as the church should be the most important thing of the way that we relate to one another as the people of God. So let's just speak to those. So first we see uh, in the list unity of mind and humble mind. And really what he's talking about is unity and humility should mark a Jesus follower's life. Unity and humility. What does that mean? Unity of mind means to be single-minded or as one thought. The word there literally means harmony or harmonious. It means to think the same way. And as you're listening to this, you might say, well, Pastor Paul, how do we do that? Like our world is so divided. There's so many different denominations. There's different thoughts about religion and theology and even inside a church this size, like what are the odds that we're all going to think the same way? How do we pursue unity of mind? Well, Peter's already given us the answer to that. The way we pursue unity of mind is being centered around God's word. Like that's where it begins. At the end of 1 Peter chapter 1 and beginning chapter 2, he tells us to be people of the word. All flesh is like grass, it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We are to be a people who love God's word, who grow up into God's word. And so the way that we grow in our unity, our like-mindedness, is not by just all choosing to agree with one another, but it's by choosing to agree with what God has spoken it's choosing to build our lives around the word. It's choosing to let the word through the power of the Holy Spirit change our thinking, change our minds. So we are called to have harmony of mind, but then we're also called to be humble, to be humble-minded, which literally means to be lowly in mind, to think of ourself less. And the way that we grow in humility of mind is not by just thinking of ourselves and downing ourselves or thinking of ourselves as terrible or insignificant. No, the way we have a humble mind is we look at God rightly. It has been said that if two men are standing at the foot of Mount Everest, they don't argue about who's taller. They just both look up and stand in awe. So how do we grow in humility of mind? It's not by looking at one another and comparing ourselves to one another, it's by looking at God then all comparisons get flatlined. Everyone is unworthy of God apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? So how do we grow in unity of mind as we center our hearts around the word of God? And one of the reasons why there's so much disunity in the church is because the church has gotten away from the word. And if we don't give the word priority and precedence in our lives, in our abiding as we sung about earlier, we will not be like-minded. We will not have a burden for a loss. We will not have a conviction for the glory of God. We will not treasure Christ and be willing to give our lives and lay down our treasures for him and our money and our possessions and our time. We won't do that because we're not being changed by the word. And we won't have humility of mind if we're constantly looking at others, comparing ourselves to them and comparing them to us. No, we look at God. 
So one of the marks of growing Christ-likeness in a Jesus follower's life within the church is unity and humility. But secondly, we see sympathy and compassion. Sympathy and compassion. He says we are to have sympathy and a tender heart. Sympathy in the Greek means to suffer with, to experience the hurts of others. And for churches who are walking through persecution and hardship in this context, it's a call from Peter to the church, to us, to recognize the sufferings and hardships of our brothers in Christ and be in those with them, to mourn with them, to feel the weight of those things with them. The word sympathy, its root has pathos, its, its feelings, emotions, a deep love. But not only does it talk about sympathy, he says we are to be tender-hearted. In Ephesians 4.32, he says that, Apostle Paul says that we are to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, loving each other as God and Christ has forgiven us. That word tender-hearted literally in the Greek means loving intestines. Yes, it's loving guts. It is, it is a love and a passion that is so deep inside your soul that it just hurts you. You feel it deep within. That is the way in which we are to see one another. That's the way in which we are to love one another. We don't just go to church together. We care for one another. Do you care for the person to your right, to your left, in front of you, behind you, because we are part of this family of faith. It's the same idea, it's the same word that was used of Jesus when he looked out and he saw all the people in Matthew chapter 9 who were, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was burdened to his inner core and care for them. Do we love one another that way? Do we care for one another that way in this family? Do I, do you? So we see unity and humility. We see sympathy and compassion. But then third, and and most prominently in this list, is brotherly love. Brotherly love. It's at the center of the list. It's most important that we are called to love one another as family. Why? Because that's what we are. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the crazy things, we got to experience the joy of, of being able to baptize Jack and Evie in the past year and trying to help them grow as Jesus followers. But one of the joys of seeing that happen is no longer is my son or my daughter, just my physical son or my daughter, but they are now my brother and my sister in Christ. And guess what? That relationship with them is an eternal relationship. One day in heaven, they will not be my son or my daughter anymore. They will continue to be my brother. They will continue to be my sister. This family that we have is an eternal family. We are called to love one another well, sacrificially. Do we love one another? The family of God should have a deeper love for one another than even our nuclear family, the family that we grew up in, which is kind of crazy to think about, but that's what Jesus is talking about when if you don't love him with all your heart and don't love him more than your family and don't love him more than your spouse, that's what he's talking about. Not that we shouldn't love our spouse or not that we shouldn't love our family, we should. But there's a deeper unity and a deeper love that is found within the family of God. 
that should characterize the way that we live for one another. So here's the question for us, friends. Do we love this church? Not just the organization or the name Tri-Cities or the preaching at Tri-Cities or the worship at Tri-Cities or the ministries of Tri-Cities. Do we love one another? The church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is not a service or a gathering. It is a family. Do you know your brothers and sisters? Are you sacrificially loving your brothers and sisters? Are you helping your brothers and sisters in Christ grow in Jesus Christ? How do we do that? What does that look like in a church this size? You've heard one way this morning. One way we do that is through discipling one another. And a great practical place to start is through our communities. One's happening now. One's getting ready to happen after this service. One happens on Wednesday night where you get to go sit around a table with some of these faces, some of these people that you don't know. And you get to pray for them. You get to know them. You get to serve them. You get to help them grow in their pursuit of Jesus. They get to help you grow in your pursuit of Jesus. Do you love this church family? Do you love one another? Do you know? Are you devoted to one another as God calls us to? That's a mark of Christ's likeness. Is that growing in you? Is that growing in me? And let's just be honest. The the problem for us, the tension for us, is we're selfish. Can we just own it? Can I just own it? We, We are natural tendencies to be selfish, to see life through the lens of our perspective. I'll give you an example of my own selfishness. So a week and a half ago, we uh, was a family, we went on a trip to Washington, D.C., and we we're walking around, and I made my family walk an extra mile just to go to a special coffee shop. So, you know, I'll just own it right there. There's this shop I wanted to go to, and there was all kinds of coffee around, but I wanted to go to one. Why? Because I wanted to. Don't look at me so spiritual. We are selfish people. We tend to see life through our lens first and foremost. And in the church, if we're not careful, we will put ourselves above our brothers and sisters in Christ. I would love to be involved in a group. I'd love to be involved in a community. I'd love to serve. I'd love to disciple, but I just don't have time. What are we saying? We're saying that our value of our time for ourselves is more important than our brothers and sisters. I would love to be invested in other people's lives, but I just don't feel comfortable getting opening myself up. I don't feel comfortable with those people in a different stage of life. I don't know how I would relate to them. Put our comfort over our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd love to be generous. I'd love to give. I'd love to help advance the kingdom of God, but things are kind of tight right now. There's other things we're working toward. We're putting our own control and our treasure over blessing the body of Christ, advancing the mission of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, brother or sister, like, as you walk through these verses, one of the primary focuses of Peter to the church is their love for one another. For some of you here this morning, do you belong to a church family? Is this the church you attend or is this the church you belong to? There's a difference. And I'm not just talking about being on a roll somewhere, being on a membership roster. Do you belong through your pursuit? 
Do you belong through your practice? Do you belong through your love? Are you sacrificially pursuing the brothers and sisters of Christ of this family? And if it's not this family, what family? Let's help you find a faithful one to be a part of, to give your life to. Why? Why would we do that? Why would we give our time, our relationships, our treasure, our money, our generosity through a church? Why do we do that? Because we want to be like Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. I, I want us to remember 1 Peter 1.22, which says this, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Pastor Mike talked about this several weeks ago. Do you love this family earnestly? Does that describe your heart? Does that describe your life? When we do, and this is so cool, when you love God's people earnestly, you reflect the love of Christ. And that's what we want to do. That's who we're called to be. Jesus said this about the church. How is the world going to know that you're my disciples? Is it going to be because you go to a church building? Is it going to be because you give a little money? Is it going to be because you put Jesus follower on your Facebook handle or whatever that is? Now, this is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Who's one another? God's people, the church, us. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the things that characterized the early church, these churches that Peter was talking to, was their love for one another. Tertullian, who was one of kind of the early church fathers, he lived in Carthage outside of Rome from 160 to 220 AD, said this about the church. He said, look, they say, how they, the Christians, love one another. He's saying the outside world is looking at the church and saying, look how they love one another. For they themselves hate one another. Talking about the world. The world is going to tear each other apart. That's what unbelievers do. That's what our culture does. That's what's happening around us all the time. They hate one another. And he says, and look at how the church is ready to die for one another. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. One of the ways we grow in Christ's likeness is by our love for the body. That's why at Tri-Cities, we have four kind of grounding principles that frame everything we do. One of those principles is the church. God has set in motion a people for his own possession, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that gets expressed through the local church. Do you love your church, family? Do you love these brothers and sisters well? Is Christ's likeness being revealed in you? So one sphere is the people of God. Let's just hit the other two very quickly. Second big idea is this. Christ's likeness rejects retaliation and retribution and replaces them with blessing. So not only does Christ's likeness and the pursuit of Christ's likeness prioritize loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, but it rejects retaliation, it rejects retribution and exchanges it with blessing. Look at verse nine. Do not repay evil 
for evil. So when someone does wrong to you, don't wrong them in return. And can I be honest for just a second? Can we pause there? I think for a lot of us, if it just stopped right there, we would probably be okay. But then he takes it a step further. Not only are we to not return evil for evil, or, number two, reviling for reviling. What is reviling? Speaking evil against one another. So we don't return wrongdoing with wrongdoing, but listen to this, this is so important, church family, listen to this. We don't return wrong speaking with wrong speaking. When someone speaks bad about you, you don't return it with slander. In person, around others, online. We don't return wrong speaking with gossip. We don't return abusive language with anger, frustration, resentment, harshness, or for some of us, it's just avoidance. So how do we reflect Christ's likeness? Not by returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but then if he stopped there, that would be okay, but then he takes it a step further. What do we do instead of returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling? Look at what he says. But on the contrary, bless. Bless your enemies. Be a blessing to those who do evil to you. Be a blessing to those who speak evil of you. Why? For to this you were called. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Think about Jesus on the cross. Evil was done to him. He did not return evil in return. Evil was spoken of him, but he did not slander back. But what did Jesus do on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Friend, when that unbeliever wrongs you, they don't understand what they're doing. When that person criticizes you or criticizes the way you believe or what you think, they don't understand the sin that they're committing. So bless them. These are marks of Christ's likeness. This is how we know we're growing in Christ is when we are hurt, we don't hurt back. When we are wounded, we don't wound back, but instead we choose to bless and point others back to Jesus. Christ's likeness happens not just in the realm of the church, but also in the realm of our enemies and those who would oppose us. So marks of growing Christ's likeness for a Jesus follower, not repaying evil for evil, not repaying evil speech with slander or gossip and blessing those who sin against us. And Jesus is our ultimate example. Which leads to the last fear, last kind of big idea in this section, which is this. God's family pursues Christ-likeness by embracing a lifestyle of repentance and godliness. So how do we grow in Christ-likeness? By loving the church, loving God's people, prioritizing them over ourselves. How do we grow in Christ-likeness? By loving our enemies not responding to them in kind. But third, how do we grow in Christ-likeness? By embracing a lifestyle of repentance 
every day turning from sin, turning from evil, and turning to what is good, and obedience, pursuing what is good. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from verses 10 through 12. Peter quotes again from Psalm 34. This is what he says. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Peter's talking a lot about the tongue. One of the most common ways we wound one another is with our words. So keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking lies. And look at verse 11. Let him turn away from evil. That's repentance. It's a continual turning away and a continual running toward. And instead of turning, running to evil, we turn from it, but we don't just stop. We do good. We do what is right. We walk in obedience. Verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. And that peace is not just avoiding conflict and avoiding tension. The word peace in the Hebrew that's found in Psalm 34 is the word shalom. It's flourishing, fullness, abundant life. Seek abundant life, seek flourishing, seek the gospel good for all people. Help them see Jesus, help them flourish, help them find their joy in him. So what does growing Christ-likeness look in our lives personally? We guard our speech practically, make repentance a way of life, do gospel good, seek the way of peace, seek the way of shalom in the lives of other people. Which leads to one final question that I kinda wanna bring us into, and that's the question why. Why pursue Christ-likeness? Why prioritize loving this church family as imperfect as she is? And friends, this church family is imperfect. You're looking at the chief of sinners. In fact, if you're looking for a perfect church, this is not the church for you. But if you're looking for a perfect church and you find one, don't go there because you'll break it, okay? So let's just, let's just be honest. What would cause us to prioritize loving God's people over ourselves? What would cause us to choose to bless instead of curse and harm? What would cause us to live a lifestyle of repentance that runs from evil and pursues good? Why would we do that? Why pursue Christ's likeness? Last big idea is this. God's people pursue Christ's likeness because they long to live within the blessing of his presence. It's easy to just kind of run over this. I don't want us to miss this. Why is Peter saying this to us? Why would we pursue these things? Look at verse nine. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Here's the important part. For to this you were called. This is your purpose. This is why you were put on this planet. You were called to be a blessing. Why? That you may obtain a blessing. What is the blessing that we're seeking to obtain? What are we running after? Why pursue Christ-likeness? Why would Peter want this for these churches who are going through hardship and suffering? He doesn't say just hit the eject button or get out of it. You know, he says, work hard, labor for the cause of Christ. Why? Because there's a blessing you're running after. What is the blessing that we're chasing as God's people? His presence. 
God is the goal of our lives. Why pursue Christ-likeness? Because as we pursue Christ-likeness, we know God. He is our goal. He is our prize. That's what Psalm 34 is about. It's a psalm of deliverance that David writes. And as you read through Psalm 34, what you see is that the focus of Psalm 34 is not on David's enemies or David's situation or David's hardship, which were many, but it's on the God who is the deliverer. And in Psalm 34, David says these words, O taste and see the Lord is good. Happy, blessed is the man who finds his portion, finds his treasure in him. God is our goal. God is the one that we are pursuing. We have union with God, relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, and that never gets taken away. So I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that we are apart from God and we gotta do all these things to earn his favor. No, we have his favor, we have his love. That's why Peter starts with our identity in chapter one and chapter two and who we are in Christ. But because we are in Christ, if you truly are a believer, you should long to pursue and know God the Father. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, he should be the delight of your life. So why do we pursue Christ-likeness? Because we want to know God. We want to experience his presence. We want to walk in communion with him. We want to treasure him and love him and know him and find our joy fully in him and him alone. So church family this morning, are you growing in Christ-likeness? Is God your joy? Is he the one that you're pursuing with all your heart? Do you wanna know him? Do you wanna be more like him? How do we do that? By loving one another? By loving our enemies? By pursuing him? I just wanna invite the team to come up and lead us in a time of response this morning. Here's what I wanted to invite you to do, just where you are, just to bow your head and just come kind of into a posture of prayer and response. I know that there's so much that we've talked about this morning, but here's the question I want to ask you. Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Is there a love for God's people that's growing in you? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humility. Is there a growing love for your enemies, patience with them, a desire to serve them, a desire to bless them? Is there a growing pursuit of God and a growing hatred of your sin? God, the treasure of your life that you long to know and you long to grow in and you long to be like, or is it something else? We're gonna be a church that is a light in the darkness and a watching world to see. It's gonna be because we live differently. The only way that we can live differently is through transformation by the Holy Spirit in us. It begins at salvation, 
And it continues with a daily dying to self and trusting in Christ and following him. Father God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray if they know you that today that you would create a conviction inside of them, inside of us, to be a people who long to be like Christ, who long to be imitators of him, who long to pursue and know you. And for anyone this morning who doesn't know you, who's not experienced your goodness, who's not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, God, would you please open their eyes to see you today? Would you please help them to trust you today, to rest in you today? We thank you for your goodness and grace to us in Jesus Christ. Help us as your people, as your church, to build our lives on you, on your word, on your love, so that more people might know and see that you are good. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.